start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the Jay Allen Show. Hopefully everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods. Lovely to see you back on the show today as we go down the pass and having conversation of what is going on inside of this lovely industry of ours as we take a look around and about and we highlight some different people going out and about. Anyways, it seems like a lot of people like to Friday's episode with Trisha talking about the B words. That was a fun conversation as we went down memory lane and exactly seeing what was going on in the industry when she started to where the industry is at now. If you haven't taken a listen to the episode, please go back and take a listen. A lot of people seem to have already been listening to it. And a lot of people seem to be really liking it. Anyway, so let's talk about today's conversation because today is going to be a different perspective. Well, a different perspective compared to most. Let's put it to you that way. As we go down this conversation today with Patrick J. Carroll. If you're familiar with Patrick, there's a reason behind it. He is the president of Carroll Safety Consulting. We're going to go down the path of the things that he has learned throughout his career and the things that he's seen, how he got involved into safety, and where this lovely career of his had led him throughout the years as he worked for a very large airline to where he's at currently today. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time here at the beginning of the show. Now let's get you started with this conversation with Patrick J. Carroll right here on the Jay Allen Show. So I have to tell you, thank you, number one, for doing this. And I apologize that it took so long to get it all kind of, you know, the sequence, but with everything going on, I'm sure you could understand what was going on at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I have to ask the question because this is where I start off almost with everybody. Why did you decide to get into safety? What drove you to that path of saying, okay, this is what I want to get into? I like to think didn't choose safety as much as it chose me. Okay. I, I never had any career intentions of getting into safety. Um, I, I graduated high school. I was a strong C student. Um, college wasn't really <laughs> in my, my future. Uh, my dad was had been in the army, and I suggested army. He says, "No, nah, I don't go in the army." He says, "You're going to come to work at the factory." That's right. I worked at the glass factory for a while. Uh, this was, um, you know, when when everything was in glass, right? So uh, 
Gatorade bottles was glass, and believe it or not, there was a time when all Gatorade bottles were glass. Milk jugs were made out of glass. Uh, prescription bottles were glass. Well, this factory made those bottles, and that's what I did. I, I worked there, uh, and it was re really tough work. I worked there long enough to figure out maybe I ought to go to college. So I did that. I went to college, and I worked, and I ended up getting a job in the airline industry while I was in college, and I thought, man, I'm set for life. And uh, worked a number of different jobs in the airline. I drove a forklift. I cleaned airplanes. Um, and I made my way up to a supervisor. And uh, I thought, man, I'm, I, this is it. This is it. I'm set for life. Um, and uh, I was working out on the tarmac, the airport tarmac, one of the largest airport operations in the world, Atlanta, Georgia. And it was about dusk, one cool fall evening. I'm a supervisor, so we carried radios so we could stay in touch with other supervisors in different departments and so forth. And I heard a, a call come over my radio for Echo 1 to gate A17. And I detected a little sense of urgency in your voice. I knew who it was right away. It was Wayne, who was a, uh, another supervisor right across the tarmac in gate A19. I could look over there and see it. And I knew that Echo 1 was the ambulance service on the field. I thought, well, I could see a plane that started to back out the gate. And I thought, well, I know what's happened. A passenger's gotten sick, and they got to take them off. So if you get the bag, then they got to take that bag off, too. I can look over in Wayne's area. I can see it. he was slammed. He was busy. I wasn't doing a lot. I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll hop on a tug and ride over and see if I can help him. So I did. I was over there in less than, probably less than a minute. As I was pulling up to the rear of the aircraft, um, I saw some couple of guys standing around the main ear of this aircraft. It was a Boeing 757 aircraft. This is the main ear of the big quad tires underneath the, the wings. I thought, that's kind of odd. Well, why would they be standing there? I got a little bit closer and realized what had happened. Uh, we had run over vents with the Boeing 757 aircraft. Uh, Wayne, the supervisor, was taking his coat off and putting it on. The fueler there was another buddy of mine, Joe. I was taking his belt off and tying it around Vince's leg. I didn't know what to do. I froze. My hands literally froze on the steering wheel. I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I happened to glance up and see the, the jet tub driver that was moving the aircraft. He had his face down in his hands. He, he knew what had happened. And fortunately, the ambulance got there then, and uh, I never even got off my tug. I turned around and went back to my area, and the whole night, I, I kept thinking two things. You know, number one, how did that happen? And then number two, I hope, I hope and pray that, that Vince is okay. And it was, it was at that moment that safety for me went from something that I tolerated, something that I had to do once a year because I had to make sure all my my team got trained in HASCOM and lockout tag and all that stuff. Something that was uh, was personal to me now, you know. And now I, I looked at my team of about forty uh, workers and I thought, you know what, I, I'm responsible for their safety. Long story short, I didn't know what to do about it, but I just knew that I was responsible for their safety. Fast forward one year, the airline was Delta Airlines. Uh, they took a hard look at themselves and said, you know what? And they did a lot of benchmarking 
and deciding, you know what, maybe we need a ground safety department. Up to that point, it had kind of been farmed out to different divisions, different departments. But they did, they formed one. And uh, I raised my hand and uh, I joined their department. And that was in January 1994, not knowing anything about safety. And so that's why I say, safety kind of chose me. I didn't choose safety. I never had a, any career intentions of and that's how it happened. I worked there for the next 13 years, and I was incredibly fortunate to be able to work with some phenomenal people and phenomenal leaders. I learned a lot from uh, the flight safety department there. They had a business very well established, as you could imagine. And uh, so that's January 1994. I've been in safety full-time since then. It's been an extremely Oh, well, we'll, we'll get into that portion. We'll get into that. But uh, so it was an accident, essentially, then that actually got you involved. Now, yeah. did the gentleman come out on the other end okay in the long run? I mean, after everything took place, of course. He lost his leg up to his hip and um, came back to work for a while. And ironically, you know, that was the person who was obviously injured. But oftentimes we don't think about the secondary victims. Individual driving that jet tug that ran over him mm -hmm. also missed a lot of time, uh, simply over his anguish of, of what had happened and in the role he played. So, yeah, he did live. Well, that's the great part about it, that he did live. And, and that's a good point that you do bring up, because here's the thing that takes place, as you fully are aware, is that people don't put into consideration of what might have caused potential portions of the accident on how it actually has an effect on the person that we'll say, quote unquote, was the cause. So as you look, so as you look at this now, and of course you're doing the retrospective because we're talking all the way back in 1994 when this occurred mm -hmm. and how you say that safety chose you. Do you look at the whole thing and look at how, where your career is now? And of course we're going to get a little bit more into it, but as you look at your whole career now, do you look at it and go, the trajectory that you're on currently would have never occurred if that accident wouldn't have happened? Oh, absolutely. It would have never. I would have uh, moved. Uh, my, my hope was that, you know, if I did well enough as a supervisor, I'd move up the management ranks. I, I love managing. I love supervising. And I just saw myself moving, kind of moving up those ranks. No, so as, so the, here, so here's the thing then. So this changes your career. This changes everything for you. So you say you raise your hand, you're going to go down this particular path and you know absolutely nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So at that moment, and of course, I know I'm asking for some time ago to kind of go back to your, to what you were thinking at the time, but why all of a sudden do you say it's a risk to change everything that you wanted to go into a field that you even mentioned that you're not familiar with at the time to move forward in? Well, you know, to me, I look at it as an opportunity to, to, um, have a bigger impact on the safety of hundreds of fences out in the operation. And uh, that's what I saw it as. I saw it as that, that kind of opportunity. And I thought, I can't, you know, destiny, I don't know. I don't know if that was it. But I, when I saw that um, opportunity come up, uh, I thought, you know what? It never once occurred to me that I couldn't do that job. And I couldn't bring enough passion and interest and desire uh, to learn what I needed to learn to have a bigger impact. 
So as you go into the safety department for Delta Airlines and all of a sudden you're going through everything, you're starting to learn everything about the industry, you're starting to learn about Delta safety, are they tying into you at the time any kind of FAA regulations or is this not something that's spoken about at the time? Uh, There was a little bit of overlap. FAA generally um, covers the the flight of the aircraft, the flight crew. Uh, My responsibility was in the ground operations. So there was a little bit of overlap. Um, I was fortunate we were part of the flight safety department. So a lot of, uh, I learned a lot about what, uh, about their processes and their procedures and their regulations, but there wasn't a whole lot of overlap. But then you're, you stay there. I mean, you're there for a long period of time. From what I could find, I have it roughly about 13 years, give or take, of you actually being there. Mm-hmm. So as you start off from day one inside of there, not knowing much about the industry besides possibly the, the naming, when you leave there, how far ahead are you in your career? I mean, and I'm talking about what have you learned over these years? Are you going to different places and learning more about safety or how does the knowledge base come about? I mean, cause I'm looking at this from day, how, how does day one ish look like to when you leave, give or take 13 years later. Wow. Oh, that's a huge question. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I like to put the pressure on people if I can. <laughs> you know, I, learned a lot, I learned a lot about the importance of fact management and gathering the facts. Um, I learned a lot about regulations um, I learned a lot about uh, developing training programs, but I guess when I, when I left Delta, I, I think the three most important things about safety I learned was number one was selling, number two was selling, number three was selling. If you- <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, safety people don't want to know that they're that they're salespeople. I think you just let the secret out. No, they are. You know, and, and that selling sells. That has a negative connotation similar to the word safety, right? But selling, right. Bill Carnegie said it best, selling is, is uh, simply about influencing somebody to do something you want them to do. Um, and so if you, you know, we can have the technical knowledge and that's, that's important. And I, I worked hard at gathering and gaining that technical knowledge. That technical knowledge just opens doors, opens doors to conversations but it doesn't necessarily influence people. You have to know a little bit about selling, about influencing people to do what you want them to do if you want to really uh, have an impact in safety and health. And that's so, I, so when I left Delta, I, I think that might have been the biggest lesson I learned was that selling, 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 you had to be able to sell safety because safety, you know, somewhere along the way, if it, uh, you know, uh, Developed a, a negative connotation, and I think you know, from being a safety cop to enforcing regulations to investigations to mandatory um, uh, training, all these things had negative connotations. Investigations, audits, violations. So, so that was a battle he had to fight, and an uphill battle. So, if you didn't know something about influencing, something about selling, you're only going to be so successful. So you, so you mentioned you mentioned the term there, safety cop. Do you believe, looking back now at this particular portion of your career, that you went through that sequence? I mean, and I'm talking about because you're talking about day one until you're learning to influence and so on. Or do you look at this now going, I was for a period of time 
a safety cop when I was learning how to do this? Well, even before that, uh, as a supervisor, okay. after that incident, um, I didn't know how to manage safety. I didn't know how to even talk about safety. So the only thing I knew was disciplinary action, and that and that meant enforcing regulations. And that's what I did. And and I thought, you know what? I'm not. That's not going to happen on my shift on my watch. And so yeah. So I was I was a safety cop. Um, I enforced what my version, at least in my head, what I thought they needed to do. And even, and that carried over uh, into uh, my, my professional career for a while until I, I figured out that, you know, wait a second, it wasn't like something I learned over the weekend, right? Uh, <laughs> well, hold on. It wasn't a certificate program that you only took for two days and now you're a pro? Oh, come on. That's oddly enough, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, you can, you can, in your head, say, you know, I don't want to be a safety cop. Okay, so what does that mean? How do you, how do you, what's the next step? What's the progression from there? And how do you get there? That took a while. I mean, that took a while. So, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I, if you look at my bookshelf right now, I've got books on, uh, I got some safety books, but I got a lot of books on selling and influencing and leadership. And that's the kind of the soft component that, uh, is often lacking, and uh, I know I hear people complain about it. You know, all these uh, um, uh, the college graduates coming out with their safety degrees, and, uh, and they have all this technical knowledge, but they don't have the soft skills. And I don't know how you can expect them to have some of those soft skills when they come right out of college. But the soft skills are really important. This is the Jay Allen Show. Are you tired of being part of these? Zoom calls where everything sounds like it's bouncing off the wall? Are you tired of buying subpar, non-artistic soundproofing? Well, let me tell you about my friends at AudioMute. They are high quality, high color, high graphic, high panels. They have anything that you can imagine on their website. Take a look at AudioMute.com. If you have the idea, they can create it. They have everything from panels that look like wood to custom panels to even what we use here at the Safety FM Studios, CityScrape. If you're wanting to know more information, go to AudiMute.com. That's AudiMute.com. And make sure to tell them that Jay Allen sent you. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. And I agree with with what you're saying right there. And I think that that's still kind of a a lost art for some, for some, where they don't understand about being able to build relationships and actually have those conversations where it's not, this needs to be done now, but really understanding the need of an organization and then referencing what this might work as a culture overall opposed to it just being, well, this is the culture of the operation and this is the safety culture that we're trying to put in opposed to it being a combination of both. Now, of course, that's going to date a little bit of some of the conversations that I have from time to time. But as I look at it, I see a lot of degrees, just as you said, that are coming out, but people that are unable to speak to people at management levels or board levels. Because it's great if you could also, if you can speak all the nuances inside of the safety world. But if you go into a C-suite, using that as an example, and have the same conversation that you might have in the field, 
to someone who's inside of the C-suite, and I'm talking about the nuances of safety, mm-hmm. you're going to lose your audience so quick there. It's not even going to, it's not even going to be funny. Exactly. So you have, exactly. So it's, I mean, you have to have the technical knowledge, right? That, that's a baseline. They expect you to have that, and that opens the doors to those conversations. But you also have to define safety in their terms. I, I uh, was taught early on about the safety drivers. Uh, so depending on who your audience is, you define safety based on, on what they do. So if you're talking to HR, you talk about the people component. If you're talking to a lawyer, you're talking about the regulatory component. Um, so if you're talking to the director of finance, you're talking about the financial impact of safety. So you, you use these drivers to, to define safety in their term. And knowing what it is they want most is a key component of what you want them to do yeah i think i think you're spot i think you're spot on with what you're saying so as we look a little bit more into your career for a moment so you do some other things you go through some different from from different positions and you get to a point where you turn around and you say okay i want to be a speaker i want to be an author and i'm going to start my own consultancy Please tell me that this is when you decided to retire, because this is where I, I hear most people say this. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know I, um, I'm not a, I'm not a very good planner, as much as I am a reactor. Okay. So I, I react to my my situation. So I started speaking several years ago. I changed jobs a couple of times, and I. My, my CSP credential was coming due. I had to recertify, and I was behind on points. And I thought, you know what? I need to make a bunch of points really fast. Uh, so I started applying to speak. Uh, and that way, I thought, well, I could get points for speaking. I could get points for attending at conferences. And I did that. And I found out I enjoyed it. I enjoyed sharing what I've learned in my career. So that's kind of what got me started down that. Well, I lost a job five years ago, and now I'm, I'm unemployed for the first time in my whole life. And I thought, <clears throat> what do I like? So this is my reaction part, right? I don't really plan as much as I do react. And I'm thinking, what do I enjoy doing the most? I really enjoy the groups. I enjoy sharing what I've learned. Let me see if I can make some money doing that. And so... Um, I've been able, I've been somewhat successful so far at doing that. I enjoy doing that. And from that, I've, I've built um, a safety leadership workshop and um, written a book. So, uh, so all these were kind of reactions to being unemployed and having to do something, you know, and recognizing what I enjoy doing and recognizing where my passion is and recognizing why I do what I do. So are, are, do, you, do you enjoy this more than having to, let's say, quote unquote, work for someone else? Are you enjoying it that much? I mean, we, you've been doing this now for a little over four years or close thereof. Yeah, right. right. Um, I wouldn't call it enjoyment. <laughs> <I> call it, <laughs> I, I, it's like um, I, I like to uh, run obstacle course races and I always say, hey, did you have fun? Uh, it wasn't fun. Um, there's a, a tremendous sense of satisfaction when uh, I can I can go out and and find a company a situation where I can provide value to a, 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 a help them address a problem that they have, and so I've I've done that on a number of occasions now over the past few years. 
and I've done it on my own, and it, and I'm telling you, it feels really good. If you'd have said 10 years ago, Pat, what do you, you know, what do you plan for the next 10 years? I, 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 don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I do know that I have a passion for uh, being in the safety industry, and uh, so that was as much as I knew, and, and being a speaker, uh, that was a reaction to being unemployed and not being able to find a full-time job. And, so with the way that things have changed over the last, we'll say the last 10 months at this particular point, and of course, lockdown and changes into how we were doing stuff inside of the industry, because I would imagine it at some point, it was relatively easy to jump on a plane and go to X area and do a, do a, do a actual uh, a conference and then come about and then move on. So how are you adapting to this digital world of ours where everything has to be done virtually? Well, you're right. A lot of the in-person, a lot of what I do is in-person, a lot of that dropped off the table last year. So some of it I've been able to convert uh, virtually. Um, in fact, uh, I've got a one-day workshop uh, that I'm going to start doing here in the next, within the next uh, oh, six weeks or so. It's going to be a virtual virtual live workshop. So, so I'm, I'm learning to adjust. And uh, I've been doing, I do uh, some uh, uh, exam prep workshops. So that's a three-day online course, uh, or a, a virtual course, a live virtual course. So some things I've, I've converted. Um, but it's an ongoing, an ongoing battle. And I'm, I'm learning, <laughs> learning all the technology and learning that, you know, if you can, if you're really good at presenting in person, it's not necessarily the same if you're virtual. Well, it, it's always interesting on how, how willing people are to adapt to tech now, especially with everything changing so much. Cause I was having a conversation earlier today with someone, uh, we were talking about how probably about a year ago at this point, a lot of companies, if you said, what is your idea about working from home? They would have looked at you and said, working from home, what, what, why would you want to do that? And look at the space that we're on now on how so much, how many things have actually changed. Yeah. So what has been your biggest learning in this new virtual world from going from in-person events to doing it to some of the virtual speeches that you get to do? Well, I'm learning that it's a real challenge. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I've, I've learned this. There's no substitution for in-person in -person presentations, in-person meetings. There's really just no substitution for it. Um, that doesn't mean you can you simply, um, you know, go about your business on a virtual platform. The things that you have to do different to engage a virtual audience. And, uh, and I'm, I'm learning some of those things. And um, I think you really, really, really um, have to go a couple extra miles to make a connection virtually, whereas in person, it's just uh, so much easier. But I don't really think that there's really a, a substitute uh, uh, for in-person meetings. I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people. I think I, I've kind of come full circle early on last year. I was thinking everybody's going to get used to the virtual world, the Zoom meetings. and they're going to like being able to get up and just uh, in the morning and in their pajamas and go to that virtual meeting. Now I'm thinking, you know what? There's a, I mean, we're, we're, we like to interact. We like to interact. We like to be around other people. I think a lot of that's going to come back. And I'm, I'm hoping it does. I like being around other people. I miss, I miss the flesh and shaking hands. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so. 
Well, I, it makes it much different, of course, on the virtual events compared to the in-person because let's say, for instance, you're doing an in-person event and people moan or groan or chat or clap and cheer or so on during the event, you know exactly where to continue on during the path where it becomes extremely more difficult during a virtual event because unless somebody's actually typing away inside of whatever form of chat box you have, it becomes very difficult to be able to, to follow along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? And some people are just not going to engage. Some people just want to kind of keep you at arm's length and it's, it's, um, it's just not going to happen. And some people are, are going to put forth a little effort. Some people understand that, hey, you know what? Put in. And they're going to be involved. And those are the people I try to focus on when I'm doing a virtual workshop is the people who, who do want to so let's talk about some some other things going on. So you have the virtual workshop. So let's use this as a perfect example. Then you tell me on how, how what you think about this. So let's say, for instance, there's somebody who is actually on the verge of starting their career. And they're asking for mentorship from you. And they say, I'm going to go down my path of starting my safety path. I am about to get into college. Would you recommend college and learning about safety? Or would you rec- would you say... I think you should go out and get some of these certifications that are available through these different organizations. What path do you set them on? Well, I think I might set them on another path, a third path. Okay. And that is, hey, go out and get a job. Uh, work in a factory, work uh, in a warehouse. Uh, get to know what it's like to be a frontline employee because so much of what we do is for that guy or that gal working out on the floor, working out on the front line. Go out and connect with them. Um, and hey, you know what? Then go to college and get your certifications. That's, that's my recommendation. I think, uh, if you, uh, you come right out of high school, go right into college, and uh, somebody says, hey, a safety career is for you, and you, you go down that path and you get degrees, and now you got this technical knowledge, but you don't know how to connect with a frontline employee, that could be a little bit of a problem. That could, that could, that could present some real uphill battles. That would be my suggestion. Hey, go out and get a job, get your hands dirty, get a pair of work boots, go to a construction site, work in construction. Well, I, I, th- I think that that would, um, I'm, I'm looking at this and I think that that might throw some people off. I mean, I think it's a great recommendation. Don't get me wrong, but I think that it might throw some people off, especially when you first tell them that. It's like, what do you, what do you mean to go in and work in the front line? No, but I mean, I think it's great because that way you get to really have a true experience of how it is, opposed to it just being a a process or book knowledge or something that you read or something that somebody else told you. Being out there and really seeing how the work is done, opposed to how the work is imagined, is much different. I, I can tell you this for a fact. I worked for uh, a lot of years on the front line uh, and got to know a lot of people uh, at, at Delta. Uh, I went over to the corporate office and started working there. Anytime I worked on a project and went back to the field, they knew me. They knew me, and so it was uh, uh, it was it was easy to, to uh, move forward because I already had, a, had that relationship. I could talk their language. I fit in with them. So uh, so. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. And you know what? Hey, if you do it for a year or two years, I mean, it's, it won't be the last thing you ever do. Um, and that's the time to do it. 
Now, Pat, I have a question for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book and what it, it what it focuses on? Sure. Um, it's, it's called Selling Safety to the Front Lines. Basically, um, my stories and the lessons I've learned about safety throughout my career, and it starts from last factory. It comes, you know, through um, through my days before I got into safety at Delta, and what I've learned since then. And essentially. Uh, says, hey, this is, um, if I was starting over today, these were some of the things I would be doing today. And that's, that's really, it's, that's what it's about. And where and where can they actually go and find it if they're looking for it? And what's the title, of course? The title is Selling Safety to the Frontline. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's available on Amazon and it's uh, available through CRC Press. And then what if they're interested in about learning more about your virtual conferences that you actually put on and the virtual courses, where can they find out more information? Uh, there'll be information coming out real soon. Um, I, I, I post a fair amount on, on LinkedIn, uh, Patrick J. Carroll, and uh, my website, carolsafety.com. It's Carol with a K, one R, and one L. I like to say it. And my Christmas Carol, only with a K. <laughs> good, way, good way to put it. And then you do have something coming up here, if or unless I'm letting out the cat out of the bag. You have something coming up on the 15th of February, correct? Well, you know, that's interesting you say that. I did. So I was doing a one-day <laughs> workshop for ASSP, and it, okay. was, and it was canceled. Oh, okay. So maybe I shouldn't say that then. <laughs> well, that's, no, that's okay, because I think that's a, that's a great, you know, like, you know, we, we go through, life is a series of ups and downs, especially if you're consulting. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was disappointed when that happened. Uh, and, it, and I know now, after having lost a couple of jobs over the past few years, it takes me, you know, it takes me a, a, a little while to get over something like that. But uh, once I do, I recognize right away that when, when one door closes, a bigger door is going to open. And we have to be ready and be looking for that big door. And the big door here is that I'm going to do this workshop on my own. Uh, so, yeah, or power to you. I really do. I really do like what you've done. You're, t- you're taking that and you're making it something entirely different. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's ready to get it out. Um, and uh, so if I can't do it with ASSP, then I'll do it on my own. And so that's, uh, that's the opportunity. That's the bigger door. I think that's open and maybe I've got a chance now to reach more people. Who knows? I don't, I don't know unless I try. No, absolutely. I agree with you. Well, Pat, I really do appreciate you coming on to the show today. Thanks so so much for having me. I enjoyed chatting. So what'd you think? A lot of information to cover here with Patrick today. Well, hopefully we'll have him back on in the very near future. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Patrick as much as I did. Well, don't worry. This brings another episode of the Jay Allen Show to an end. We'll be back before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 40, 40 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.